This is uh, the Sanctity of Life Sunday. I have, if you have your Bibles, if you don't have one, there's one in front of you. If you're watching at home, go get your Bible and turn to Psalm 139. I want to focus in on the subject of life this morning. Verse number 17 is the key verse. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Look at that verse a little bit closer with me because I want to explain to you why I titled the message the way I did. Is because we're dealing with always abounding uh, this year, always abounding in God's thoughts. Um, And so that actually can be a phrase used two different ways. It can be that God is thinking of you all the time. God knows who you are. I hope through the message you'll understand a little bit more of that concerning you, but also uh, that you would stay in the thoughts of God. And so if I would actually ask you, do you understand what God is thinking? Um, How do I know what he is thinking? Well, he certainly knows what you're thinking, but he would like to know Uh, He would like to know that you're thinking about him in his ways. And the only way they can really, uh, we can abound or we can abide in the thoughts of God is to be in his word. Uh, Look at the verse again now with that understanding. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. The Bible gives us so many thoughts concerning God. The some of them are numerous, if you would. We couldn't number all of them. And uh, I think when it comes to this particular time of year, every year we have fought back, tried to, and pray that God would overturn, uh, help us overturn this whole thing with Roe versus Wade. And we desired that it would be, and it has been done now. I think about how that we hear a lot of people that are talking about the freedom of choice. And you may hear that terminology, the so-called pro-choice group movement. The freedom choice means the freedom to kill a baby. That's all that means. If we can look at some sobering statistics a little bit this morning, the total number of abortions in the U.S. uh, from 1973 to 2020. It's the closest I got when I was looking on the Internet of how many babies have been aborted, and they came up with 63 million 600,000 babies have been aborted since uh, 1973. Now, the problem goes way before that. I think 1965, they began to keep the statistics a little bit. But someone went further a little bit with their concern about this, and they came up with, out of 1,000 living births or live births, there's been almost 200 aborted babies uh, in comparison, according to the Center of Disease Control. Uh, Has anybody ever heard of the CDC? Have you ever heard of that? Um, Just wanted to see if you've ever heard of them. Uh, The abortions uh, goes on to say this Guttmacher, is that how you say it? Guttmacher Institute, anybody know? So I can say it that way, Guttmacher Institute. According to them, uh, out of 100 pregnancies, 20 um, of them are aborted. Um, U.S. abortions in 2020... Uh, was 930,160. And and so that really is different compared to 1980. In 1980, there was 1,500,000 babies aborted. At least we had that written down, and we can understand that because of the statistics they're giving to us. That's 2,000, according to the 900,000 that actually 
has been recorded uh, for 2020. That means 2,548 per day. Uh, that's 106 babies per hour um, were aborted in the U.S. in 2020. One, abort- one abortion every 34 seconds. Uh, 4.4 abortions um, to 120 uh, I mean, a, a thousand women between the ages of 15 and 44 is what they're giving us the statistics for. That's for Guttmacher anyway, the Guttmacher Institute. Uh, 20.6% of pregnancies in 2020 ended in abortion. Um, pills, uh, pill abortions uh, account for 53% of all the abortions that took place in 2020. And so these statistics, by the way, uh, that I gave you are only, they're only um, covering surgical and pill abortions because uh, many contraceptives, of course, are being used. Um, using formulas based on the way that the birth control pill works, pharmacies, pharmacy experts project that about 14 million chemicals, uh, chemical abortions occur in the United States each year, providing uh, a, pro- a projected total well in excess of 610 million chemical abortions between 1965 and 2009. And so why am, I, why am I giving you all of these statistics? I think it, it helps us understand a little bit more of what's going on in our culture today. It seems like there is a dark side and there is a light side, a bright side. And the word of God is the bright side. We'll give you that in just a moment. But when conducting research, I went on further to this article, it said that conducting research on abortion statistics, you may also encounter two different sets of numbers. One set is from the CDC and the other is from the Guttmacher Institute. Uh, which is an independent uh, arm, if you would, of Planned Parenthood. And so I don't know if you've ever heard of Guttmacher Institute or Planned Parenthood or C2C, but neither one of these can be trusted, to be honest. The Guttmacher Institute totals are actually the more accurate since the Institute conducts private research on abortion providers throughout the country and because not all states are required to report to the CDC. I thought that was interesting. This article says that not all states are required to report the abortions. Why not? I think it's interesting. In fact, California and New York, where high numbers of abortions occur, are not included with the CDC figures. Why not? Both places, New York and California. So you look back at the conspiracy behind it all, or the conspirators, if you would, And uh, who are they? I think, first of all, it's the justices of the United States. Um, They're responsible for a lot of this. Uh, We hope that that they would would actually come with a a wise decision to save the babies, and they have. Uh, Who else is responsible? Well, each of the government officials, uh, the social planners, if you would, such as Planned Parenthood, are funding the slaughter of the unborn babies, um, and this is coming to uh, hopefully a head where they'll realize that these are children, um, and it's, it's a sin to take the life of an unborn child. I think uh, Vice, Pres- Vice President Pence, his daughter, uh, is involved with a lot of this, uh, trying to help uh, save the lives of these young, uh, young babies that are before they're born. And uh, the doctors who prosper... Uh, in this lucrative business, they're to blame. The abortion clinic owners, they're to blame. Of course, the mothers and fathers who willingly give their consent to end the baby's life before birth, they're to blame. 
those who remain silent um, and don't oppose these atrocities, I think we're to blame. I think the Bible's very clear on it, by the way, that there are six reasons why I put down here, six biblical reasons pro-choice really is no choice at all. Um, you're taking the life of an innocent child. She can't or he can't make the decision. Pro-choice allows the taking of an innocent child. Uh, that child is innocent in all of this. The Bible says in Proverbs 6, 16, verses 17, these six things that the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, proud look, lying tongue, and the hands that shed innocent blood. Pretty powerful statement. I think pro-choice transgressors uh, really have overlooked the golden rule. The Bible says in, Mar in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 12, Therefore all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye unto them. For this is the law and the prophets. Pro-choice is fundamentally contrary to human nature, by the way. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse number 31, talking to those that are actually participating, but look unto and, and allow it. And Romans 1.31 says, without understanding, covenant, covenant, covenant breakers, without natural affection, uh, in, in, implacable, uh, unmerciful, I think pro-choice also is rooted in selfishness because the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.2, for men in the end times will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Um, Philippians chapter 2, verse number 21, for all seek their own, not the things of our Lord Jesus Christ, of course. Uh, pro-choice is not the freedom uh, is, is pro-choice is not the freedom to kill. The Bible makes it very clear in Exodus 20, verse 13, thou shalt not kill. Um, the Bible gives a lot of evidence here. So I'm trying to help us understand that we ought to be pro-life rather than pro-choice because pro-choice is basically saying, I can take the life of this child. Um, pro-choice um, is not really the answer to unfairness. I think we're looking at equity today in our culture we live in. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans 8, 28. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them that are called according to his purpose. Um, we see that that principle is also in Genesis chapter 20, uh, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. But as for me, you thought it evil un against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people. Before I get into the solution completely, I want you to look at your Bibles, if you would, with me, because the Bible gives us an understanding of why is it that we have trouble in our country understanding that, that this abortion issue should be set aside completely. They're going to try to resurrect it now and try to uh, say, well, we, we can still have abortions here and there and so on. Um, first of all, God is the God of life, okay? So our God is always on the side of life, and so should we. Um, if God's against it, so are we. It's just a basic principle um, that God is not for abortions. And so God is for giving life. I was listening and reading a little bit more last night on concerning the idea of adoption, which is absolutely essential. If somebody wants to give that baby up for adoption, we should be able to have a place for that, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. But here's what I came to the understanding of this passage to help us understand that if you understand God and you know God um, and you know his thoughts concerning you, 
you would have a completely different outlook on this. And I think that's the problem. As I wrote down um, a while back, why so many abortions? Because our culture does not have a proper view of who God is and a proper view of life. Can I share with you a few things in this particular psalm that will help you understand a little bit more about God? Look at verses 1 through 6, because I see here that God knows everything. If, if you were taking notes, you would write down God's om, om, omniscience. In other words, God knows everything about you. God knows every event that's going to happen. Uh, if you look at the verses again in verse number 1, it says, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sittings and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts after off, uh, far off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down. Thou art acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. The psalmist is writing an understanding of who God is in the area of God knows everything. God knows all men. You notice an interesting thing is that this particular psalm was meant to be sung by everyone that was gathered together with God. If we were to stand up and we were to sing this particular psalm, this psalm was meant for you just as much as it was meant for me. I can't take a hold of this psalm and say, oh, this is only for me. No, it is for you too. And it is for you to understand that God knows you. God knows everything about you because God knows it all. He knows every single thing. He knows your heartbreaks. He knows your, your sicknesses and your, 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 when you rise up and you walk. God knows whether you're walking or whether you're sitting. God knows all of that. He knows your tongue. He knows what's in your mind. He knows what's in your heart. This is a big God. He created you and he knows you. And that's what the psalmist was trying to express is that God knows all men. And this psalm was meant to be sung by everyone in the congregation, not just those that are in leadership. God knows your name. God knows your heartache. The earth is the Lord's and the world thereof. And they that dwell therein, according to Psalm 24, verse number 1. So God knows all men, but he also knows all men thoroughly. He knows their words, and he knows their actions and their thoughts and we are really in a glass beehive because God can see us at all times and he knows exactly what we've done and what we're doing and what we will do. God knows all of that. This is the God that the psalmist is writing to. God knows all men and God knows all men thoroughly, but also God knows all men constantly, all time, under circumstances. When we work, when we rest... When we walk, at night when we're sleeping, when we get up in the morning, God's knowledge of us is different than the knowledge of others. I know you. I, I can tell a little bit of your habits. I can, I can tell a little bit of the ways that you respond. I, I even know some of you have favorite restaurants, and Culver's is usually the choice, and and I, and I know a little bit about you, but God knows you much better. 
I, I know if you're going to be here for a service or not. I, I know that some of you never come on Sunday morning. I know all of that of you. But see, God knows you more. God knows you better. God knows your name. Wow. I think about how many times in the Bible he's called out people. Simon. Simon. Peter, Peter, Satan would like to sift you as weed, but I'll pray for you that your faith fail not. He knew Peter and his responses and how he would act. He knew that someday he would get out of the boat and walk on the water for just a little while. And then he would look around and see the storm. And Jesus knew that he had to reach down and pick him up and put him back in the boat. And your faith seems to be strong for a little while. And then difficult things come. And I I want to express the understanding of God's omniscience this morning. Is that he knows everything. He is the God of heaven. And he knows you. Verses 1 through 6 give us that understanding. God's knowledge of us differences from the knowledge of, of each other. And his knowledge is primary and independent. God's knowledge is perfect. And God's knowledge is clear. And there's no if, and, and buts about it. It's just, it's so concise. For some reason, I felt like it was necessary for me to to take pictures of old barns. I don't know what this is, but there's a lot of old barns. And so I, I like it when I can take pictures of things. And sometimes it, it kind of blurred. And I'm thinking, you know, my cell phone, it's not that old. It's a pretty good cell phone, but the pictures aren't that good. So I kind of desired maybe that I could learn photography a little bit, maybe. And so I looked at Marketplace, and I found a good Nikon D70. It had two lenses with it. And then if the lady's watching, thank you for giving me that gift. That was only 100 bucks, you know. I, I got, it was a good price, you know. I thought this would be nice to have. So I kind of played with it a little bit yesterday. I took it out, you know, and I can, I can take a pictures now pretty good, you know. Took pictures of our dog and took pictures of little Winona. And my wife, wait till you see that picture. She was acting like Tammy. Uh, maybe I'll put it up on the screen so you can see. Uh, she looks really pretty at church, but sometimes at home, she makes these really bad faces. But I got a couple of them. If you want to come see me, I'll, five bucks a piece, you can see it. I love you, honey. But I was thinking about how that, how do you focus in on things? Sometimes you get a blurred picture. Has that ever happened to you? God never has a blurred picture of you. There's nothing there. He's completely clear. You have blurred visions. You see people as trees. You don't really care for them as much as you possibly could. You see them kind of blurry, but God doesn't see like we see. God sees nothing but good. His thoughts towards you are wonderful. He wants you to succeed. He, he wants you to love him. He, he wants to bless you. See, this is, a, this is so interesting because God has a clear... But do you have a clear picture of who he is? Are your thoughts all the time wonderful toward him? Do you want to know God better? You see, this is part of the proper view of God in our culture that's missing. We're not sharing with our children a proper view of who God is. Did you know that sometimes the children in your home actually look to you as the spiritual leader of the home, as the divine direction of the home? And so God actually uses you 
to, gi- to give your children a picture of him? Wow, what responsibility do we have, men? It's almost overloaded on my heart at times to think, I need to behave properly and do the right things and make the right choices and have the right impulses and have control over my appetites in every area so that my children have an understanding of who God is. But it doesn't stop there. Verses 7 through 12 gives us the understanding of God's omnipresence. And so God is everywhere at all times. I think if we understand this a little further is that we understand not like a pantheist. They believe that God is everywhere but not everything. In other words, God is everything but not God is everywhere but not everything. So God is personally present everywhere. The Bible says that. Let me just read the verses for you. and Look what it says in verse number 7. It says, Whether I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I free from thy presence, if I ascend into heaven, thou art there, and if I make thy bed in hell, behold, or the grave, thou art there, and if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. And if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hides not from thee, but the night shines as a day, but darkness and light are both alike to thee. What, what an incredible passage of Scripture to know that God is everywhere. God is aware of everything that's going on. God is personally everywhere, by the way. He is there when you need him, and he is near. God is, God is with you not only personally, but also intellectually, is that God is always in tune with what's going on. He's aware of what's happening around him, not only just being there. He guides you. Gives you the power to sustain the difficult times. In him we live and we move and we have our being in him. I think for the born-again believer, those that are partakers of the divine spirit have an understanding of God's personal presence at all times. He's there for you. And when you struggle and you hurt and you don't know what to do, you can cry out to him and he hears your voice. He is our God. and He is there. He desires for us to understand this. God is influentially present everywhere. It's God that influences people to slow down. It's God that allows people to know what's right and what's wrong. And I think anybody that can hear my voice, you know what's right and you know what's wrong. What is your response to it? Are you going to say, this is the right thing for me to do? I will do that then, Lord. I agree with you. Influences us. He leads us, he sustains us, he restrains, he overrules evil of this world. He is an awesome God. He originates and fosters all of us for his glory and for our good. Sometimes I'll plan something and it doesn't work out the way I wanted it to work out. 
Maybe you've had that happen in your life where you said, this is what I've desired, and you've moved forward with it, and you thought this was the best thing, and all of a sudden you see that it's not going to happen that way. You had great hopes for your own life. Maybe you've had great hopes for your children. You held them. You knew that God was the giver of life, and you encouraged them. You were there for their first smile, and you were there for their first walk, and you had nothing but good hope for them, and then you see them making poor choices and difficult choices, and, and because of it, you sit up at night and you cry, and you, and you don't know what to do. You say, Lord, I, I, had, I meant better for them. Just think about that heaviness that God feels, because he's given every single person in this room the opportunity to live in one of the greatest countries in the world, and we, we have dishonored God. We've all robbed him. We breathe his air every day. He is the God of heaven who knows everything and who's everywhere and he knows. But we have done injustice to our God. All of us have. We've all sinned against him. Have I fully obeyed God? No, I have not. And neither have you. But you know what's wonderful about our God? He loves us. And he's full of mercy. And his mercy, which is the same word for compassion, it never ceases. He moves in his mercy toward helping you again and again and again and again and again. Nobody could do this but the God of heaven. His mercy endures even your behavior, even the things that you've done. Oh, let me tell you something about the power of the living God. He can do all things, and he knows everything. And sometimes when you make plans, God changes them. Maybe he'll allow you to suffer for a little while and go through some difficult times for a little while for your own good to strengthen you, to give you this this idea of of perseverance and power and, and patience so that you would continue on the road that God has for you. Sometimes we get weak and downhearted and full of sorrow and we think that we're all alone and let me just share with you that this God knows you and he wants to help you and this is missing from our culture today this is not being taught even in our homes we're not giving our 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 children a big picture of God no we think the government is everything and they're going to take care of me and if they don't I'm going after them we think of the injustice of the government let me tell you something we have been living unjust lives concerning our God for a long, long time. But his mercy endureth forever. It doesn't end there. In closing, I want to just look at a few more things. We see on God's omnipotence. This is God's all-powerful in his being It's kind of hard for us to understand, but I think it comes out with the idea and understanding that who could create man? Only the power of God. Man, our systems are made incredible. I think of the nervous system. I think of the billions of nerve endings in the back of your brain that run down your neck that God knows how all of, the, all of them work. And, and the brain surgeon doesn't. He thinks he does. I've talked to the best of neurologists here in Madison. And I'm thinking to myself, after speaking to these men for a little while, 
they don't understand what's going on. They would rather give you some kind of a drug to numb the nerves up than to find out what's actually wrong to help you. But this is our God. How he actually created the breathing apparatus with the lungs and the nose and the mouth and how they work together and how we can breathe. And even the lungs itself and how how they can get infected at times and cause all kinds of troubles and how God clears it all up again. and He heals us from all of our diseases. I think about how he has made us. This is the most important part. Look at verse 13. I want you to look at verse 13. It says, For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. That word covered means woven. Thou hast woven me together in my mother's womb. This means that I was alive in my mom's womb. This means that as a baby, I was a human being. I was kicking and moving around. I was a person at that time. The Bible says it really clear here. You can't deny it. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. And that my soul knows right well. My substance, my strength was not hid from thee. When I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which and continuous were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. How precious is this. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God, and how great is the sum of them. And if I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I am still with thee. Man is a powerful creation of God. His body and complexity, how he has made us, the, how the hair grows. and It's interesting how that everything changes as you get older, and I, I see it more and more now. It's 61. You know, it's amazing because when I was in the Marine Corps, I thought I would never get old. Yeah, I mean, Even coming home from Lebanon was something that I never thought would happen, and here I was getting older, and then I got married, and I had children, and now I have grandchildren, and I'm getting old. I have to actually clip the hairs in my ear. I never used to have to do that. There's changes that go on. God's in charge of all of that. How powerful he made us. I think about how that breathing with ease is a blessing of every moment. Yet we're seldom curious about how many more breaths that God's going to let me take. Uh, There passes through the heart 250 pounds of blood every hour. That's incredible. 250 pounds of blood. 446 muscles in the human body are actually being moved when the heart beats. That's incredible. That my heartbeat would actually touch all of these other elements in my system just blows me away. 80 years of heartbeat, 100,000 
strokes. It's incredible. The heart stays going. I think about how the human heart contracts 4,000 times every single hour. It's amazing. But yet, we never think about it. We just keep living our lives the way we want to live. What I think about mostly lately is about how precious the little ones are. In about three weeks or so, we're going to have another little grandchild, a little girl. You know, for years we had boys around the house, and pretty soon we got these beautiful girls around because the boys fell in love with them, and we had daughter-in-laws, and now we have girl babies coming around, and I've never had that before. And so I don't think little girls sin, so... I don't know. know. Maybe they do. Just teasing. Uh, Anyway. So what can we do? Let me give you a few things that we can do to be able to help. The first thing you need to do is, is remember that places like this are absolutely essential. You take a really light attitude toward the church, you're taking a real light attitude toward the culture. First of all is your home, I understand that. But without a good, strong, Bible-believing, spirit-filled preaching church, our culture will soon decay to the point of being like England in no time. We're almost there now. But I think, first of all, we need to be informed like we were today. What, what's going on in our culture? You know, I appreciate Aaron's comments. He's got his law degree, and so he understands a little more. Brian has his. Understands what's going on in all the laws and how it all works. I get the opportunity of praying with him on Wednesday nights. And so just listening to him pray, I understand more about how the legislature works and who's making these decisions and how we ought to be informed. I appreciate this bulletin that we put in once in a while to insert in the bulletins and how it gives us a little bit more of an understanding of how to be informed. The second thing we need to do is to work and pray for the right constitutional amendments. Pray God help us because there are laws that we can have in our country that are right kind of laws. And by the way, it used to be that people would bring their Bibles to put together, out of Deuteronomy, a lot of the laws in our land. Used to be. And it can be that way again, if we seek God. The Bible's very clear. I think we ought to teach and practice, uh, how can I say this? Uh, we ought to teach more morality in our homes. We ought to, Shut off the TV if the program's not right. Turn it off. Your children don't need to see that. Shut off their ability to have the Internet. I don't know if I would be able to let my children have the Internet today. I don't know. There's so much junk on there. Eighty or so men got together yesterday and prayed. We had a statewide prayer meeting. We met together as pastors and to listen to these men praying and crying out to God, pastors and godly men, saying, I have sinned against you because of the television set, because of the computer, and so on. It's a problem in our culture today. We ought to be aware. 
We've got to be teaching purity to our boys and to our young ladies how to be pure, stay pure. And by the way, you're not going to be able to do it just with restraints. We, we, took, we took the bestest, strongest Marines, and, and we put them in a, in a situation where they were in restraints, and they did really, really well. But as soon as we let them loose on liberty, they were a mess. Because there's something that has to change on the inside of your child. There has to be a, a will change. I, I have to change my will to God's will. And, and I must look at things through his eyes. And so to be able to teach the children that way. I think if we could go back, Tammy and I have talked a little bit, but we'd like to do a little bit more of, of helping families understand that teach them to have the right kind of relationship with God. Because it's not just restraints, it's walking with God and loving God and, and obeying God and enjoying the obedience and then getting the blessings from God. I think it's important for us to have that in our homes. We ought to have compassion toward unwed mothers. The Access Woman Center is doing all that they can do. By the way, we're having our meeting on Saturday. Come join us if you're interested in helping us with this crisis of unwed mothers. Offer help to the victims that were left behind, children without moms and dads in the home even today because of drug and alcohol abuse, how we can help them. Pray for God's mercy on our nation. I just want to give you a few things to think about when it comes to the right thought about God. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse number 20, the Bible says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Don't you feel like our culture today, everybody's turning it around? It seems like they're saying that the bad people can't speak out. I heard of a pastor, he actually said yesterday that he had two two notices on his phone for, for, for perverted material. Two of them, just like that. On his phone, popped up. So he contacted him and said, I don't want to see this anymore. And they said, well, it doesn't violate the rules of whatever it was that he was on, Twitter or whatever, Facebook, I don't know. But he said, if I was to say that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings, they might monitor that. They, they might say that's not good. I heard recently of a man who had a Jesus t-shirt on. I think it was in the Mall of America. Now he's walking around, and the police officer said, you're going to have to take your t-shirt off or go to a different one over it because it was offending people. Well, I'm offended, to tell you the truth. I'm offended, and I think that God is, the way we've been behaving in this country. The Bible says in the same passage, Isaiah 5, 21, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Isaiah 58, verse number 1 says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people the transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. I think about how God is pro-life. Because of what he said, and Peter wrote it, Best in Second Peter chapter 
3, verse number 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, that some men count slackness, but the Lord is, is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I think about how God wants us to agree with him concerning sin. I think God wants us to agree with him concerning what his thoughts are. And so always abounding in his thoughts would be always abounding in his word. And then memorizing his word so you can meditate upon the verses all day long. Let me close by reading the passage. Verse 19 says, Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred, a mature hatred. I count them mine enemies, and search me, though, O God, and know my heart, and try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me into the way of everlasting. Having a proper view of God will give you a proper view of self so that you can make the right choices in life. The first choice you need to make is that God is God and who he says he is. And I must get to him. And the only way you can is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the life, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Have you made that decision to come to him? You can through Jesus Christ alone. You'll never get to God anywhere else. And you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven. I hope you've been born again. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I don't know where you're at spiritually. But God does. Remember I said he knows. He knows your heartache. He knows that you used to be on fire for him at one time, but you've gone astray and you've kind of put your light under a bushel and it's kind of fading away a little bit maybe. But he's saying, come, let me blow upon that fire again in your heart. Let me get the embers burning again. And he will breathe upon us, oh God. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've got more hurts than I could ever know. God knows all of it. Why don't you come to him? The Bible says, cast thy burden upon the Lord and he will sustain thee. He will not suffer the righteous to be moved. Maybe you need to come. Just kneel down at an old-fashioned altar. It's been a long time. Maybe it's time to just return to God. Talk to him. Tell him you love him. Maybe you've never come to him. You've thought till now that life has been kind of a game. But now you see the seriousness of it. Life is real. And maybe you want to make that decision to trust Jesus. Why don't you come forward? I don't know what what your need is, but God knows. So we're going to have an invitation. If you want to come, you come. Every head bowed and every eye closed, we just stand to your feet. No one looking around. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide in the invitation. Move in the hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.